Okay, so if you are newer here, uh, let, me, let me catch you up a little bit. We're in the middle of a series called You Make the Call, it's on the wall. Uh, winning with wisdom is the tagline. We've been talking about wisdom. Talk, everyone wants wisdom. I mean, not, not as many people in our culture today talk about wisdom, but when you step back and think about it, everyone wants it. Everyone wants to make better decisions. Everyone wants to make better investments with their money and time and life. Every, everyone, you know, if you, if you step back and really think soberly about it, everyone wants wisdom. And so how do we get it? And we've been talking the last three weeks about it. So if you're just jumping in here, it'll feel a little bit like you're coming into the end of the movie, but you can listen to past messages online. uh, And I'm just going to give you the gist of it right now. This this message will be enough right now that you'll you'll get it. Um, So we've been kind of leading with this one particular verse, and I want to lead with it again this morning. It's James 1.5, the first chapter of the book of James, and it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and he will give it to you. It'll be given to you. So you, if you want wisdom, you ask for it, and God gives it. He doesn't discriminate. He doesn't say, oh, well, I've given you wisdom once before, you know, and I saw what you did, and so I'm never, no more wisdom for you, it's the, the wisdom Nazi. No wisdom for you ever. Uh, He gives it. He loves to give wisdom. And we talked about this asking a question for every major decision of our lives. We we talked about asking one particular question that would help us make wise decisions, and it was this. In light of my past experiences, my present circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing for me to do? Not necessarily what's the legal thing for me to do. Not necessarily what's right for them is right for me. It's, it's given what you know about yourself and where you've been, what your vulnerabilities and tendencies are. Given where you are right now, what you're going through, what you're dealing with, what your options are, who, who you're in relationship with, where you are right now, and given what you want for your own future. Not something that I'm prescribing for you, not something your parents are prescribing for you, but given what you think God might have for you in your future, What's the wise decision to make? And so if you ask yourself that question in every major decision, we're saying you ask God for wisdom, you ask that question, you'll make wiser decisions. And you'll go along a better path than maybe you've gone. And maybe the, the patterns, the destructive patterns or the unhealthy patterns of the past don't need to keep repeating themselves, but that you can make more wise decisions. So in uh, the first week, we learned that question. We talked about answering that question. In the second week, we talked about building your team. The third week, last week, we talked about building great habits. And this week, we're talking about, despite everything, persevere. Despite everything, <clears throat> despite injuring your hand, despite, <laughs> despite everything, persevere. Even if your football team is, is going through some hard times, persevere. Persevere. Even if you have work situation that's difficult, persevere. We're going to be looking at what it means to persevere and how, how, how building your team is essential. Asking the question, what's the wise thing for me to do, is essential. Building good habits is essential. But the real, like the real hard work that produces lasting wisdom and life change is perseverance. It's perseverance. It's going forward. It's fighting through. How many of you know, I mean, if you think about the lives of people, you're not inspired by the life of someone who's just like gets it right all the time and is just like this perfect person and never done anything wrong, right? 
Some of you come to church and you think that that's what this place is full of. It's not. And it's not even inspiring. I mean, it's not even, it's not even that exciting. Think about a movie where a person shows up at the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie, never does anything wrong. It's just all up and to the right. It's the dumbest movie. People don't make those movies. Real life and real stories have adversity. They have ups and downs. They have difficulty. Even the heroes sometimes make the wrong decision. But what inspires us is when they persevere, when they come back around, when they don't quit and give up, when they keep on going. That, those are the stories that move us. Those are the stories that we want. Those are the stories that we'll have. Because here's what I know. I know that, that a lot of you are in seasons of difficulty even right now. I know. I've, I've talked with several of you just this past week that are facing really difficult circumstances. And I know that that's just an example of the magnitude of what's going on in our lives in our church right now. Difficult, painful things. And maybe if you're not right now, you have recently or you will soon because that's just the way this life is. In this broken world, there are difficult things. And I know that for some of you, these difficult things, they're not even temporary. Like, it's a new normal for some of you. The news that you got, is this is just how it's going to be. The family member that you lost, this is just life now. What do you do? What do you do when wisdom isn't enough that you're just, actually, you're just praying for a miracle? Or you're just, you're just wanting to know, God, how you're going to get me through today, get me through this week, get our family through this month. That's the real world, the real life that many of us find ourselves in, the place where we find ourselves. And if you're not there now, you will be at some point in the future. I've been there. I've been at that place where it's just like, this is the new normal. I don't know how to go on from here. Life was forever changed. And maybe it's my decision. Maybe it's bad decisions that I made. Maybe it's just things that happened to me, to you. But here we go. God, I would love your wisdom, but I don't, I mean, I just need, I just need help. The verse that we read at the beginning from James If you need wisdom, you ask for it. Some of you, if you're in a difficult situation, you look at that and you're like, I'm beyond the need for wisdom. That just feels like kind of trite to me right now. The good news for you is that the four verses before that one verse, verse 5, have something to say to all of us, wherever you are. If you're in an okay season or if you're in a difficult season, there's something that God wants to say to you this morning about what this journey looks like and about the hard work of real wisdom and real life change over time. The first four verses in James 1, the first one starts off like this. It simply says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus. I'm just going to read these in phrases, okay, not the whole passage. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus. What I want you to like pause and recognize here is who James is. Anyone know who James is in kind of relevance to his- history and Jesus? He's Jesus' brother. He's like actually Jesus' brother. Like they grew up together and like ate around the same table and like Jesus knew the kind of veggies that James didn't want to eat and they passed like stuff under the table to each other and gave each other wedgies and noogies and stuff like that. Like, like they were, grew up in the same house 
and played. And like that, James was Jesus' brother. He, Jesus had the whole like God miracle thing in him, but they grew up in the same family, had the same mom, and you know, Joe was, you know, pops, and, and they, they like watched him build stuff carpentry-wise, and they walked together to school and things like that. I mean, like Jesus' brother, James, that's who we're reading about right here. Now, James didn't end up following Jesus around during his ministry. It's kind of weird, kind of awkward, kind of not, you know, not the easiest thing to understand or know. But it, Jesus, in his th- kind of three years of primary ministry, he isolated himself a little bit, ostracized a little bit from his family. He kind of kept them at arm's length. He was making some other points and doing some other things. But his family wasn't really in the inner circle during that time. And so James didn't walk with him through the ministry, didn't see the miracles, didn't do all those things. He heard about him. You know he heard about him because the buzz on Jesus was extensive, like everybody had heard about him. But it wasn't until Jesus died on a cross, much bigger and more intimidating than that, and was buried in the ground and then rose from the dead, it wasn't until then that James, Jesus' brother, believed that he was actually God. What would it take for you to believe that your sibling was God? (laughs) Probably not happening. Like, there's probably no circumstances under which that punk would be like your Lord and Savior. You know what I mean? I don't know if there's anything that they could do or say or not do or prove, right? Because I know my brothers, and they know, that's, not, that's not the deal. But, but apparently, apparently, when you watch someone who you've known their whole life uh, predict their death and resurrection, and then it happens, that's kind of a game changer, And so James, the brother of Jesus, is writing us a letter. It's this little document that got included in the new part of the Bible to tell us about his Lord and Savior that he saw with like snot in his nose and dirty diapers and stuff. I mean, like like his Lord and Savior, his brother, and James wants you to know about following him. James just wants to point to him. I don't know what you're reading right now, but this is better. Jesus' brother is writing to you and wanting you to know about following Jesus. James, a servant of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Let me just read that again. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Now, even as I say that out loud, I know that that's crazy. Like, who says that? I, I, as, a, as a communicator, I wouldn't stand up here and tell you that unless it was in the Bible written by Jesus' brother who's telling you to follow Jesus because otherwise it sounds crazy. Consider it joy when you go through trials and painful difficulty of all kinds. That's, that's, that's kind of nonsensical, right? That's contrary to everything in our culture of comfort and accumulation and, and up and to the right and more and better and easier and bigger and all that kind of It's contrary to our thinking. The word consider right there, consider it pure joy, it means to change the way you think. You're thinking about this situation one way. Consider a different way of thinking about it. You're thinking about this devastating circumstance and it, it means this to you. What if it didn't? What if it meant something completely different than what you thought? Consider 
that this difficult thing, that this painful circumstance that's so hard actually is different than the way you've been thinking about it. Consider it differently. Consider maybe even having joy in the middle of it, however difficult it is. And you're like, yeah, 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 but you don't know my story. You don't know this. I mean, like this, you can't be talking about this because I've been through this. And we all have that response. We all do. Until we meet someone else who's been through that. And then we're like, oh, I wish I didn't even share my story because that, that is painful. I don't even know. How are you still walking? Like, how are you still functioning in here? You know, I, consider it, reframe how you think and consider that maybe, just maybe, you can have joy even in this really, really difficult situation. And he's not saying that to be trite or trivial or because he's in denial of reality. These, these guys who wrote the new part of the Bible about Jesus, pointing to Jesus, they all died for what they believed. They all were killed brutally because they followed Jesus. It's not like, it's not like they don't understand your pain. It's not like they can't relate to difficulty. They died for this. And he's saying, consider it, reframe how you think, and just maybe you can have joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Because you know that when your faith is tested, it produces perseverance. How many of you know that that trials put your faith on trial? Trials put your faith on trial. And you, and you find yourself in a situation that's so difficult that you find yourself asking, do I really believe this? Do I really want this? Am I really going to keep going? Trials put your faith on trial. Trials put God on trial. God, how could he be a good God and let us go through this? How could he, how could he be faithful, supposedly, and yet I'm still here suffering? How could he allow that? And so trials, difficulty, put our faith and our belief in God on trial. And we decide, sometimes a lot of different days and a lot of different moments, am I going to keep on? Am I going to keep believing? Am I going to keep going? And some of you, I know this, some of you, when things have gotten really, really painful and difficult, you opted out. And I don't say that in any way judgmentally because we create experiences and I craft messages with you in mind because we want many to find their way back to God. But I know, because I've also been there, that when things have gotten really difficult, really hard, it caused you to say, I don't even want this anymore. God, if this is the life that you have for me, forget it. I'm not, I'm, I'm not in. And you hit the eject button or you hit the distraction button, or whatever that button is, and you're just, I'm not, I'm not going this way with you anymore. It sure doesn't feel like you're with me. And James would say, consider that maybe it's different than you think, and maybe you can have joy in the midst of even the most painful trials because you know that when your faith is tested, it produces perseverance. And then he says, let perseverance finish its work, that it's, it's doing a work. Like perseverance is actively engaged at work in you 
so that you may be made mature and complete and not lacking anything. So when you're working to try to persevere, perseverance is working on you. And he's making you mature. And he's making you complete. And he's making you strong. And he's helping you to endure. And he's getting you somewhere, even when you feel like you're nowhere. Like you're forgotten. Like this new normal is like hell on earth. Even in the middle of that, as you work to persevere, perseverance is working on you. And making you into someone who he has designed you to be. It's working for good. Now listen, I know lots of stories of people in my own family, people that I know who, who have got up into these difficult situations. Like maybe they had a relationship with God. Maybe they believed. Maybe they had a camp experience. Maybe it made sense. Maybe they felt something, whatever. But then things got so difficult that they hit that eject button and they went a different way. And of all the stories that I've heard and of all the people that I talked to, I've never had one. I've never had one come back and tell me. It's just been so great since I got God out of my life. Man, things have just been lining up. I just have so much peace and purpose, and my perspective is just crystal clear. My relationships are thriving. I mean, health, and it's just abounding, you know? I mean, this is the good life. Never. I've never heard it. I've never seen it. I've had people that at first, they get this sense of freedom, like, I don't need this, because they associate God with restrictions and rules. And so they, they get a temporary sense of freedom, like, I don't need those rules and those things. And so they feel good for a little bit. But then in every situation that I've known my whole life, the wheels fall off. I mean, it just gets, it just gets worse. It just goes downhill. What they thought was freedom ends up being loneliness, what they thought was, you know, forget you, God, ends up being, I've made my life worse. That's just the path. I don't, again, in no way is that judgmental. Because if you're there right now or if you've been there recently, welcome. Welcome to the club. Most of us have lived that in very real ways. When I was at my lowest point, I stood at the verge of wanting to just say, forget it. I, I've been trying. I've tried. I've been good. I've been an example. I've been the good guy. And then now this, you let me go through this. And part of me just wanted to let the thing swing in the other direction and just go do whatever I wanted. And some of you know what that feels like. And some of you have made those choices. And it's not a judgment thing. It's just a, how'd that go for you kind of thing. You know? Because most of us have been there. And James wants you to know that you can have a different way of thinking about the hard stuff that maybe even in the middle of it, you can, you can find joy knowing that perseverance is working on you and making you mature and complete so that you'll be able to live up to anything that comes at you. And to get really practical, what we're talking about is this simple fill-in in your outline, push through the quitting points. Push through the quitting points. There's two ways of quitting, right? There's one that uh, you, you, it's a good way of quitting. It's good, good quitting. And that's when you're just really stopping something that's not healthy or it's become a distraction. There are things that you're doing that you probably shouldn't be doing so that you can focus your attention on other things. 
so that you can elevate the higher priority. There's these other things that are distracting you, that are keeping you from something. There's habits, like we talked last week, that you've kind of defaulted into. Well, quit those things. There's a different kind of quitting. There's the kind of quitting that comes up to something really difficult and gives up and doesn't push through. There's a kind of quitting that says, hey, this is in my heart. This is my passion. This is the way that God's wired me and brought me and pulled me, and yet it's just too difficult. I don't want to push through anymore. There's a, there's a kind of quitting that says, hey, I've committed to this. I, I, I made a promise to this. I'm, this is the direction, this is what, but I, it's just too hard. And in this new normal where they might never change or, or, or I'm sick now or we have this financial situation now, I just can't do it anymore. That's a, that's, a different, that's a different kind of quitting. What would it look like in your current context to push through the quitting points? Even when you feel like, but God should have fixed this by now, but he should have shown up by now, but it's that person's fault, but they don't know my story, but I'm different. And I... What would it look like to push through the quitting points? And then to trust that there's purpose in the pain. That there's purpose in the pain. Maybe you can relate to the Apostle Paul. He said, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Now, we don't know exactly what that is. Some people think it was his eyesight was really poor. Uh, his eyesight was really poor. That might have been what he was talking about. Some people think it was seizures. Like he would be talking in front of people and they would just like fall on the ground and break into like these embarrassing seizures. We, we don't know what it is. But what we know is that he feels like he had something that affected him physically and emotionally and spiritually that he couldn't shake and get rid of. And then he says in the next words there that he considered it a messenger from Satan. So it was an attack of the enemy and it was there to torment me. And he says, three times I pleaded to God to take it away. And he not just saying like over three meals, like, like at breakfast with my Cheerios and at lunch with my sandwich and I was praying, God, hey, take this thing away. It's a pain. Uh, pass the milk. He's saying there were like three different seasons of time where I begged God. I fasted. I didn't eat. And I just begged him, do this thing for me. Take this thing away. Change my circumstances. I know, that, I know that it was over a period of time because he did it three times and only on the third time did he actually get an answer from God. So the first time, whether it's days or weeks or whatever, he's begging God and praying, he gets nothing. So he does it again. And he prays and he begs and he pleads. He gets nothing. No response. This is Paul, people. Like he wrote most of the New Testament. Like there's not like a more faithful, like super follower of Jesus that you can imagine. I think this is Paul. Nothing. The third time he begs God and he prays, God said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Some of you have been told wrongly by people, maybe in your past growing up or in different churches or pastors, that if you just had more faith, this thing would be fixed. If you just had more faith, you could get pregnant. If you just had more faith, you would be healed. If you just had more faith, you would get that job. It's not good theology. And it's probably in your situation not at all true. Paul, who has more faith than Paul? He begged God to take him away, to take this thing away. He begged him. Two times God said nothing, and the third time he finally says this. 
My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, Paul, I'm not going to take this away because it has a purpose. This thing, as difficult as it is, as permanent as it feels, it's going to remind you every day that you need me, that you can't be the person that I've called you to be. You can't do the mission that I have for you on your own. You need to remember that I am your source, and this thing has a purpose, and it's going to remind you of that every day. I'm sorry, I don't love that you're going through pain, but I'm going to leave it there because I want you to remember that I'm your God and that I'm the source of your power and strength. And a result, as a result, Paul says that he learned something. This is like a secret of the universe. Don't miss this right here. For I have learned, Paul says, to be content whatever the circumstances. That's a guy who's been through some stuff. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, in need. And then he says this famous line, I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. I can do all of this because my horoscope said I could. Because I ate my Wheaties? Because I'm from Texas? I can do all of this through him who gives me strength because God is with me. Because in the middle of it, in my darkest thing, in my most painful circumstance, because God is with me. And I'm choosing to reframe my thinking and I'm choosing joy. And I'm choosing to believe that there is a purpose in this pain to make me more dependent on him and to remember that I am not the source of my own power and strength. And even though that verse is used in all kinds of weird ways, like I can do all things, so I'm going to like try to fly from this building to that building. That's ridiculous. What it's really talking about is you can overcome anything in this life because God is with you. There is nothing that can come against you. There is nothing that can overwhelm you or overtake you. There is nothing too big, too strong, too devastating that you cannot overcome. Through him, because God is with you, just like he was with Paul. And so we have this mantra that I would invite you to say, I can do all this, despite everything, despite all the circumstances, despite all the pain, I can do all this because God is with me and God is in me. Jesus, one of his nicknames that's talked about in the Bible when the people came, they, they, they called him Emmanuel. This, this, this name, this title that had been prophesied about for years, Emmanuel. It literally, the word literally means God with us. That God came, he put on skin, he lived among, he did miracles, he died on a cross, way more intense than that. He was buried, he resurrected from the dead, and he went up into heaven and he said, I'm coming back, but in the meantime, I'm going to leave my spirit here. And my spirit is actually going to be in you. And if you believe, my spirit will just be working in and through you all the time, around you and everywhere and everything. Even though it doesn't look like Jesus is here with us physically, his spirit is with us and in us still and all the time. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Through the ups, through the downs, through the good times, through the bad times. He's as close as your breath. I mean, just take a breath. 
Your God who designed you is that close. He made you. He sustains your life. He gives you the strength that you have. He gives you every good gift that you have. He's for you. A lot of us live with kind of weird, skewed visions of God. We think of him, maybe we had a bad experience with a parent or with an authority figure or with a pastor or a church or something like that growing up. Or maybe we've just been through so much pain, we just think God can't be good. And so, and so we view God through this lens of, of being, you know, a, a disciplinarian, beating us down or holding us down or withdrawing himself. But when you get a real glimpse of God, of this real God, you see that he just loves you. Not like human love that you've experienced, like the source of real love. And he's just with you. And he's just for you. John, third, John 3, this famous verse, it says this, For God so loved the world. You can insert your name there. For God so loved Caleb that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish but have eternal life and not just some life on a cloud somewhere but like real and fulfilling life now and forever. For God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. He did not send Jesus into the world to condemn Caleb, to condemn you, but to save Caleb through him, to save you through him. For whoever believes in him is not condemned. Now, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do something because I just, um, I know that there's people in here who have been trying to persevere, who have been trying to go, who find yourselves in a really difficult situation or you're just coming out of one or maybe you're just entering into one, but you've been kind of on the fence about who this God is, who this Jesus is. You've been on the peripheral. You've checked things out. You, you, you like messages like wisdom. You want wisdom. You get, I, I, but I'm not sure if I'm fully in. I've had these bad experiences. I've had these, I've had these you know, past issues. I've fallen away. I've made mistakes. I've done stuff. And I don't know if I'm, if I'm fully in, if this God really is there for me. And for some of you, today is a day to just kind of draw a line in the sand and say, I, I'm going this way. Like that verse says, those who believe in him, if you believe in him, you're not condemned. If you believe and say yes, some of you have just been exploring and you're trying to figure out, is this God for me? Does he love me? Does he, does he know me? Even in the midst of my most brutal circumstances, how can I trust this God? But he's here. He knows you. I think he's been kind of whispering. He's been prompting. He's been saying stuff. He's been orchestrating circumstances and things in your life, maybe, maybe just to get you here this morning so that you would know that all the difficult things, all the questions, it's not a lack of his presence. He's actually with you right in the middle of it. He chooses you. Do you choose him? And so what I want to do is is for, for those of you who perhaps have never yet made kind of a declaration of saying, I choose you, to use this verse, I believe. I want to, I want to give you that moment today. 
I want to give you that opportunity. Or for, for some of you who may be, this isn't for everybody this morning, but, but, but for some of you who maybe you made a decision like that or you, or you walked with God for a while, but then you came up against some stuff, some betrayal, some, some pain, some real hard, difficult things, and you did hit the eject button, and you got out, and you turned away, and your heart has never really been in it since. I want to give you this opportunity this morning to draw a line in the sand and say, I believe going forward, I'm with you. I trust that I am not condemned, that you have set free, that you love, that you are with me in the ups and the downs and the good and the bad. So if, if that's you, either you need to do this for the first time or you're just coming back after after a season of being gone, and you want to you declare that and move forward today as a different person in relationship with your designer, your God, your heavenly Father. I just want to create a moment of silence right now for you just to stand, just boldly just to stand and say, I believe, and sit back down. There's no question and answer. There's nothing else. There's no, it's just standing up and saying, I believe, and sit back down.